Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. It's another edition of the Pilot's Advisor. Thanks for being with us today. Walter Storholt here alongside Ryan Fleming, financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving you worldwide, based out of Georgia. And today we're talking about the double-edged sword of retirement. Many financial circumstances, Ryan, that you'll find yourself in have both positive and negative aspects. Decisions that can make you have, you know, both good and bad consequences. Or as Sir Isaac Newton once put it, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. And so we're going to look at the two sides of the coin, the double-edged sword, whatever saying we want to pull out of thin air, Ryan, and talk about today. Um, Some of these different situations where an advisor might walk someone through the thought process of some various predicaments that kind of have, all right, well, you got a little bit of good over here, but a little bit of bad over here. If you do this, it's going to cause this to happen. Kind of these things that lead to further discussion. I'm probably describing what every meeting is like for you, right? Well, and you know, I, I like to try to bring my clients back to reality, but this is what I like to talk about and call the, uh, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. <laughs> That's right. That's a great point. So we're going to talk about the, the double-edged sword of these situations. And these are situations we've just kind of compiled some relatively specific examples just to kind of illustrate to you some real world examples that other people who have come and sat in the chair across from Ryan have kind of gone through and uh, presented as a challenge for them or something that they were thinking thinking about doing, you'll get the idea as we get into this first one here. Um, So let me set the stage for you, Ryan. Let's say somebody's meeting with you and they want to sell some stock to take advantage of the terrific growth that they've seen the past few years, but they also don't want to deal with the taxes that selling that stock is going to create. How does that conversation play out for you and the client typically? Well, once again, this is definitely something that's very specific to that client and their portfolio. but I can see it going a couple different ways. First of all, this is what I like to fall under as one of those first world problems. You know, you made all this money, but you don't want to have to pay the taxes. Well, the capital gains tax is going to be there. Uncle Sam's going to get paid one way or the other. The only way that that's not going to happen is if we had a big market crash like we did in 2020, where you can, you know, kind of do some tax loss harvesting and and offset some of those gains. But I had a very wise man tell me uh, years ago that you really, really should try to separate the two and try not to make an investment decision by based off of a tax decision. And I, I know it's, it muddies the water a lot, but I try to separate the two and go, okay, so like in this particular case that you brought up, they had a stock and it's had some terrific growth over the years. And so what this is looking like is you're sitting in Vegas and you've been stock picking and you had you you hit you know, you're playing blackjack and you've won a couple of hands and it's like, okay, I want to take my money off the table. But to take the, your money off the table, you might have to pay the house, you know, a small percentage to, to take that, those profits. And does that mean you stay at the, the table and keep gambling? Or do you, you know, take your wins and walk away and be happy for your wins? So that's one way to look at it. Of course, nobody likes to pay taxes, but unfortunately, capital gains tax is something that's pretty hard to avoid um, and still staying out of jail. 
it kind of, you know, you could hear the opposite of this as well. Like someone be ex- being excited to uh, sell something for a loss, but hey, I get the tax break out of it, you know. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, it, it seems to work a little bit both both ways here. And uh, you, you shouldn't really ever feel bad about making money in the market, right? So the taxes are a consequence of that, but they're not really a negative consequence. Like it it didn't cause you to go from getting money to then, you know, having lost that money. It's just part of the game, if you will. It's part of how it happens. Well, and you made money and Uncle right. Sam wants his cut. And that's just the way the world works, unfortunately. Um, it reminds me of a conversation I just had. I had a, one of my uh, older clients who's been in retirement for a long while and he has a bunch of real estate. He's 77 years old. And I think he's at a point where he's trying to liquidate some of his assets. And the real estate market right now is beyond hot. And so he's got a investment property that he's obviously depreciated over the years, but he's ready to sell it. He's got offers on it. And he's also got a piece of land where he's, you know, it's generated no revenue over the years and it's really been kind of a burden on him. But one of the conversations came up on, well, I don't, I don't feel like paying all this uh, capital gains tax. And then the conversation came, well, capital gains tax now, is that going to go up in the future with the Biden administration? And, you know, it went into a long conversation. But like thinking about right now, real estate is hotter than it's ever been today. And also, you know, for most people, if capital gains tax are going to change at all, it's probably going to go up. So I, I think in this in this situation, you'd want to go ahead and, and take the win and, you know, and pay Uncle Sam his portion and move on. That's a great point. That's a good first example of where we see this double-edged sword conversation come up. A little bit different scenario here for the second one, Ryan. Um, let's say a client just received a big inheritance, but they're also mourning the loss of a loved one. So you have this, you know, maybe windfall of cash that you've never experienced in life. At the same time, you're dealing with the emotional loss of someone that you loved. And those two things can be tough to reconcile for some folks, right? Yeah. And I I don't know where you're going with this one, but I look at this as being a very, very scary situation because, you know, obviously you lost a loved one and that's very unfortunate. That's very emotional. But something really great that happened is you did receive this big inheritance. And so how do we get that individual to not let their emotions play out with how they end up handling this inheritance? Not having, you know, short-term emotional imprudent spending, possibly. This would be a case where I would say, hey, let's just put that off to the side and, and breathe for a couple of weeks and let things settle before we make any major decisions. I think that's the key, right? Give it some time. Um, a lot of people feel like they have to rush to make decisions with their finances in the case of an inheritance, but uh, it sounds like you're usually recommending that people just take some time. How much time do people typically need before they start making decisions You know, of what to do with those funds and with that money, just in your eyes and from your experience that you've seen? Well, that's funny because you know everybody is totally different. And my wife teaches me all the time because she's really into the, you know, you take a personality test and that person's a, a blue and this person's an orange. And I don't even know exactly what they all mean, but but you know, some people some people are okay with taking action right away, and others aren't. Others need to really sit on it and ponder on it, or the old adage, you know, let me sleep on it. I'm a big fan of taking action once you know, you know, the direction we should be going. But making quick, you know, emotional decisions in investing is not something to do at all. And in a case of a big inheritance and losing a loved one and and family stress that might be going on, I would definitely take the time to settle, let things settle and make a prudent decision unless you need to make a decision now that's going to hurt, you know, the, the your situation going forward where a decision needs to be made to protect something or protect someone. 
Well, hey there. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Pilot's Advisor today. Just wanted to take a quick moment from the show to remind you that if you have any questions ever about what Ryan talks about on the program, need any assistance with your financial planning, need some guidance to get to and through retirement, or whatever financial questions might be on your mind, don't ever hesitate to reach out. The simple way to get in touch with Ryan is to pick up the phone and call or text 843-475-3038. Again, that's 843-475-3038. You can also find Ryan online at FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. And as always, we put contact information to get in touch with Ryan in the description or the show notes section of the program. So just check it out on whatever app you're using, and it's easy to get in touch with Ryan. All right, now back to the show. All right, here's another one for you, Ryan. You want to put money in a Roth IRA so that it grows tax-free, but you also want to put it in a traditional IRA so that you can get the tax deduction this year. This is the battle I always go through, especially with my wife's 403B trying to figure out, you know, how much to slide over to the Roth portion versus the traditional. We need to have a whole show on this because I know we just talked about this on the previous show and it's it's kind of one of my uh, my pet peeves because I feel like we always have a tax professional going, well, but you could have gotten a small deduction, you know. Most of the time, whatever you're getting in a deduction of uh, from your adjustable gross income doesn't even change your tax bracket. You know, if it changed your tax bracket, it'd be somewhat significant, I think. But I would say 95% of the time, it's that that small uh, income deduction is not going to put you in a different tax bracket. So we're actually talking about very, very minimal adjustments to your AGI. I'm a big fan of Roth. I think there's a few books out there. And I think this is one of those cases where, you know, the, the industry is kind of um, shifted and evolved. And I think it's a conversation we need to have. So let's earmark this as a, a future show. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I know that we, you know, just from personal experience, we kind of um, have have played around with it for the last couple of years when we knew that we were going to have, you know, a lot more owed in taxes, um, you know, due, due to my nature of doing a lot of freelance work in the sports world. It was nice to know that we could reduce some of that, you know, taxable liability with the traditional 403B contributions and, you know, just have that little bit of a benefit at the end of the year. But then at the same time, we see the benefit of, hey, you know, long term, we've got a lot of years for this money to grow. If we put it in as Roth contributions, then, you know, that number we see on the account statement years and years from now will be much more accurate to what it truly is and not have to start subtracting, <laughs> you know, well, exactly. 33% I mean, you know, out of it or whatever. It, it goes back to what you always say, pay me now or pay me later. You're going to get paid. You're going to have to pay them either way. And I have this conversation with many of my clients as they're nearing retirement where they might have a significant value in their their 401k, which is all tax deferred money. And I'm like, well, you think that, you know, $2 million is yours, or you think that one point, whatever it is, that's your money. And they're like, well, hell yeah, it is. I'm like, that's not your money. You have partnered with the United States government. And what percentage of that money is theirs? We don't even know because with the stroke of a pen, they can take a bigger sum. And so it's really a scary thing. And we haven't even talked about the ticking tax time bomb with required minimum distributions. But that's why I think it's so valuable to take control of the situation. And and one of another advisor I talked to that's very very um, adamant about this. He talks about cutting the check early to make the government just go away. And I think there's some value in that because there's so many unknowns going into the future. Have you ever wanted to learn more about the academic approach to investing and saving and planning for retirement that Ryan talks about here on the Pilots Advisor? Well, if so, go visit pilotsadvisor.com. 
pilotsadvisor.com. You can watch a quick webinar on the academic approach to investing. It'll show you how not to speculate and gamble with your money. It's all based on Nobel Prize winning research. It only takes about 10 minutes to get through the video and watch it. going to be worth your time, I promise you. Go check it out right now, pilotsadvisor.com. It's a webinar that covers that academic approach to investing, pilotsadvisor.com. All right, back to the show. All right, you mentioned. Uh, I wonder if this one will relate similarly to what you were talking about with the, um, you know, the, the the inheritance and or the even, um, you know, paying the the tax on something that you've sold a property and the benefits of those things as well as the traditional IRA. This thread kind of comes through this one maybe a little bit as well. A double edged sword situation. You want to pay off your house. You're fortunate to be able to do so, but you also don't want to lose that tax deduction that comes along with it. Oh, how this world has evolved. <laughs> and the reason why I say that, okay, the, the tax deduction in my eyes is, number one, a very, very small thing. And also, this conversation, it seems like a daily conversation right now because, you know, everybody wants to pay off their house, you know, even though a mortgage isn't necessarily bad debt, you know, everybody wants to pay off their house. But in this environment where we have interest rates at 3% or below, even like 2.5, that's like free money. And you can take your money anywhere else and do better than that in most cases. So it's weird that we're in a situation right now where paying off your house in almost any case isn't necessarily the prudent financial decision, um, which is crazy to even hear that come out of my mouth. But it really is not. I mean, because once you pay, pay, let's say that rate's 2.5 and you decide to start paying down that mortgage, you're locking in that money at 2.5% saying, hey, I'm cool. 2.5%, we're good. That's not even keeping up with inflation. And all that money that you paid down on that mortgage is a dead asset. It's not helping you. It's not a snowball that's working for you in the future. You know, unless you're, of course, that asset of your house could, you know, appreciate, but it could appreciate whether you pay off that mortgage or not. So you're really kind of killing yourself or shooting yourself in the foot by accepting a rate that is below inflation. Interesting. That is uh, definitely not something I would have thought a couple of years ago coming out of the mouth of a financial advisor to not pay off your house. But seems to be a little bit more of the line of thinking these days. I suppose the only argument the other direction or one of the arguments would be, um, if I can play devil's advocate, just back to what we talked about with the, um, you know, pay me now, pay me later. If you just want to mentally simplify life and the numbers in retirement, if it, if it adds to your feeling of well-being in retirement to say, I don't have a mortgage to worry about, I don't have to look at that line item on the budget each year. And I just know that, you know, that home is locked in and I have no responsibility to have to pay for it anymore. And it's mine. I own it free and clear. Well, that emotional boost could be a benefit for somebody, right? Just to simplify things in, in your financial life. Well, absolutely. And it comes down to financial peace of mind and, you know, whether you can sleep at night. But let's say you had $200,000 that you needed to pay off that house. What if, you know, rather than having 2.5% on that 200000 you know, what, what, what's 10% of 200000 Walter? Uh, $20,000, right? Okay. So listen, you know, and I know 10% is a, you know, pretty, pretty bold goal each year, but I'm using it to simplify the math. So in one year with the 10% gain, you just made $20,000. And that's going to continue to compound each and every year because that 200000 is going to be even that much more. And then 10% of that value, right? That is the opportunity cost. And, and make any assumption you want, whether it's 6%, 7%, it doesn't really matter. But that is the opportunity cost for you being able to sleep at night. And what I talk about with my clients is, hey, you can look at that, this account that has now grown to 300000 Any given day, whenever you want to, we can press a button and pay off that house, pay off that mortgage. 
But if you need to look at that value to know you can pay off your house every single day, fine, do that. But the prudent financial thing is to allow that snowball to work for you and get that, you know, seven to 10% off of that snowball that you have working for you. As soon as you put that money towards the house, it's gone. It's not working for you anymore. Would your advice, uh, we kind of frame this in the way of uh, paying off the house in one lump sum, indicating that you've got, you know, let's say $200,000 sitting on the sidelines waiting to either be invested or pay off the house. What about just let's dial it back a moment and say you have the ability to pay extra on the home. So it's not like you've got this big pot of money you're going to pay the house off with, but let's say you can put an extra $1,000 a month at the home. Does your advice kind of follow the same line of thinking, though, that that could be being put into a financial product versus putting it into the home? Is it still kind of losing that same benefit? It's funny because it's changed. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely all about paying extra on any mortgage because it's all about hammering that principal and getting rid of some of that interest, you know, that you're paying on the front side of a, a loan, you know, when you look at the amortization schedule. I mean, you killing and reducing that principal is going to drastically reduce the amount of interest you pay over the long term. But these conversations drastically change when we're talking about APRs that are 5 or 6% or even back in the day, what they were like 18%. I mean, yeah. these conversations really, really change. But when you're looking at 2.5% or 3%, it changes the whole equation. And I think this goes back to one of those situations where the tried and true of, you know, this is the theory of what we should do, the Dave Ramsey pay our house off, pay extra on our mortgage, might not really be a thing with rates that are that low. Yeah, I think my parents wanted to strangle me when uh, I bought my first home with a, what was our first one? Three point, I don't know, 3.5% interest rate, maybe our first home, something around around that number. And uh, my parents were like, our first home was like 14 or 15%. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know, it's crazy. It's crazy right now. It's, it's literally free money. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting how that world has changed. That is for sure. Well, hopefully these examples have given you uh, some good, um, you know, kind of examples, kind of some good uh, illustrations, if you will, for how sometimes we these conversations get more complicated. There's there's two sides to the equation. There's a positive and negative reaction on some of them, and we have to evaluate those things. And that's what uh, meeting with Ryan is all about: going through these different situations in your own financial life and getting solutions for those problems. If you want to get in touch with Ryan, the number to call or text is 843-475-3038, or you can email him, ryan at flemingfg.com, and we'll put the contact info in the description of today's show. Ryan, thanks for being with us today. Great chatting with you as always, and uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks, Walter. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. That's Ryan Fleming. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us on The Pilot's Advisor. You've been listening to The Pilot's Advisor, featuring Ryan Fleming, a financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving clients worldwide, but based out of Charleston, South Carolina. If you have any questions for Ryan on what we've talked about on today's show, maybe a future topic idea, or want to talk more about getting a complimentary review of your financial plan, here's the best ways to get in touch. You can go online to the website, FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. You can also email Ryan. It's simply Ryan at FlemingFG.com. Or you can call or text to get in touch. 843-475-3038 is the number. That's 843-475-3038. Thanks for listening to The Pilot's Advisor. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, in many more locations. So whatever app you like to use, search for the Pilots Advisor podcast today and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.